Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the hell of it! Fried in a basket or broiled in a... Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerds. Your host, licensed fishing guide, and your new best fishing friend. Hey, big thanks to Wally Pleasant for making us that theme song. People have been really giving some good feedback to it, and I appreciate it. So, we're happy you're listening. Tell your friends about us. We need more listeners. Give them a free show. Give them the gift of the fish nerds. Nothing says I love you like the gift of the fish nerds. But, tonight in the show, we're going to jump right in. we got a lot going on. So much going on. Tonight, uh, we have Shark Off. Shark Off uh, is a recent invention. It's jewelry that prevents shark attacks. So if you're afraid to get eaten by sharks, this is a jewelry for you. We talk with uh, the creators of Shark Off. We are updating you. We have got a winner for the Stinky Bait Contest. People called our Fish Nerds hotline and told us what they thought was the stinkiest bait. And we will announce the winner on tonight's show. Uh, and you can, of course, hear all the stinky bait choices. We have the Crappy Hippie's first big interview. A local legend, Kim Burnett. Kim Burnett is a crappie angler, fly fisher, fly tire, jig maker, all the things. And he was generous with his time and hung out with uh, with our friend, the Crappy Hippie. So a lot going on tonight. My first, uh, the first interview, first up, first on the show, is uh, my chat with creator of Shark Off. Shay Geist, you can find all about Shark Off at thesharkoff.com or go to Kickstarter and just search for it. And um, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, hey, sharks are never going to attack me. Why do I need jewelry to protect me from the sharks? We talk about that and more. Enjoy the interview. Here it is. All right, fish nerds, I'm very excited. I'm hanging out with Shay Geist. She's one of the creators and owners of Shark Off. The shark repellent surfwear jewelry. Uh, Shay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's really cool. So I'm going to jump right in. So I, I found you because the crappy hippie, John King, said, Clay, you got to meet this lady from Kansas City who came up with an idea to keep sharks from eating her. And yes. uh, my first thought was, are shark attacks a problem? And then I thought, well, let me just check out her website and see what you got going on. So, Shay, you've created a bracelet or anklet that prevents sharks from eating people. Is that, am I accurate? <laughs> that is, that, well, so yes and no. The, uh, what we talk about really more is uh, uh, mitigating the fear, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, as somebody who spends time in the water, that shark attacks are incredibly freaking rare, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're more likely to die by being impaled by an icicle or killed by a cow or struck by lightning, like all kinds of fabulous and interesting ways that you could die. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. So so last year there were 155 Uh, shark attacks. Right. Um, yeah, depending on which. Yeah. Yeah, depending on which database, right? Yeah, this you is from uh, FloridaMuseum.ufl. Eighty-eight oh, unprovoked yeah. attacks. 
Yes, unprovoked. Yeah. yeah. And um, so, yeah. And then maybe 10 fatalities. 10 is about average on the yeah. fatalities annually. So mm-hmm. out of 7 billion, minuscule, right? right. Minuscule. And we don't shy away from that. We own that that statistic and, and love it, honestly, because part of our goal is to minimize the demonization of sharks, right? Right. Uh, we love sharks. Yeah. Yeah. Sharks are, are awesome, amazing animals. And um, so what our bracelet does is indeed repel sharks. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we want people to lose the fear and love the ocean. Yes. Uh, we don't think you can create a connection to something that you are afraid of. And we really need people to have a connection to the ocean, uh, to the to the ecosystem of the ocean and to sharks if we are going to save them. It doesn't it doesn't work if people are afraid and they don't care. No, it's hard to save things that scare you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You know and we do it all the time. <laughs> True, true. Yeah. If somebody had a save the xenomorph, I probably wouldn't be engaged in that. Oh, so, what's a xenomorph? Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, the alien from Aliens. Oh, yeah. You are a nerd. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, see, my geek just slipped yeah, out. Right <laughs> out of there. <laughs> so, anyway, so, so the bracelet, so the first question always is, what the fin, right? And <laughs> second is, how? Um, so how is science, which is cool as well, mm-hmm. um, but the, the real nitty gritty is um, electrochemistry, right? So sharks have sensors in their snouts called the ampullae of Lorenzini. The next time you look at a shark picture up close, you'll see a bunch of freckles on the snout. Those are the ampullae. Yeah. The ampullae can sense five one billionths of a volt of electrical impulse. Which is nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Five one billion. I mean, right. like, not even, you know, you can't even, like, like imagine that. Think about that. And so they use it the same. You've Everybody's heard that sharks can smell blood in the water for miles. That's true. Also true, right? And so they use the ampullae of Lorenzini in the same way. They use it to find fish who um, that are in distress, so their hearts are beating really fast. And so they can uh, ferret out that um, electrical impulse and find their prey, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we turn the ampullae of Lorenzini against them. The active element in our bracelet anklet hydrolyzes. Think about an Alka-Seltzer. When it interacts with the water, it gives off bubbles and creates an electrical charge in the water of about a volt and a half. So you and I can't feel that, but sharks who can feel five, one billionths of a volt are really, really impacted and unhappy about a field of 1.4 volts. And so that so, repels them. How far away can they feel that field? The uh, field of the active element is about a meter around or three feet. Mm-hmm. Which is, so yeah, we, that's, that's about as close to a shark as they ever want to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Especially, well, especially on the shark, you know. <laughs> right, right. Especially yeah. since they're ambush predators. Mm-hmm. And you are not necessarily going to know that you're that close to a shark. So... Um, we uh, we like to say you are still going to uh, experience, if you see the shark, you're still going to see it, 
and it's still going to get close to you. But when it comes time for that shark to decide whether or not it thinks maybe you're food, but the only way it can test is with its teeth, and it doesn't actually have any control over whether or not you survive that. Right. And the fact that it's a really unpleasant experience for you. It sounds terrible. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. agree. Um, That it's going to get this extra piece of sensory information and decide to leave. Right. And that's really the goal. And, and, And you nailed it earlier when you said that this is not really about repelling sharks, but about getting people more comfortable with going in the ocean. Exactly. And that's what this is for. This reminds me of like uh, gluten-free eating and that sort of thing. Is it's people feel good about it. It helps uh, those people, but they don't, you know, they don't need it for sure. I know. I think they're good looking. And I, I actually backed your, your Kickstarter this morning. I gave oh, thank you 25 thank you. bucks and I'll Beautiful. give it to my daughter who is not afraid of sharks and she will laugh at me. Um, okay. Now, so you, you are afraid of sharks. You've had some shark uh experience you saw jaws as a kid and exactly. broke your brain my loving aunts and uncles mm-hmm. um took me to see jaws because we were all go a bunch of us going to the drive-in and it was super cool and actually even that was quite a while ago yeah. and um i'm the more i think about it because you know it's kind of part of my thought process every day it might not have even been the movie we were going to see but if you remember the drive-ins around here i don't know how long you've lived here i'm sorry you don't live here I don't. We <laughs> have drive-ins in new england too so are we, okay you're not unique to kansas <laughs> <laughs> the, so the drive-ins used to have multiple multiple screens like yes. four so i have a very specific memory about seeing the part where richard dreyfus reaches into the hull of that boat from under the water mm-hmm. and the dead fisherman's head just he grabs the tooth and the dead fisherman's head pops out and it's yes. like the big scream right yes i remember and so i have a very very vivid memory of that i'm sure because that's the one that broke my brain mm-hmm. and um <laughs> So I'm not even sure that I was in a car at that point. It might have just been walking back from the bathroom. So anyway, so yeah, Jaws broke my brain. Thanks, I think it broke America's brains for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But but shark fear is actually a a real thing that people really deal with. Um, And what's it called? Galeophobia or salachophobia? Ooh. And yeah, and there, there are really, there's, there's, there's tens of thousands of people who deal with this. And yeah. if wearing a little bracelet can make people who have this feel better, then that's a win for them. And at 25 bucks, a great looking piece of jewelry. Thank so why you. not? It doesn't hurt anybody, right? It's right. Only helps. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. That, and that's really the idea that's uh, obviously in the course of uh, all of our research and, you know, all the stuff that we were doing to prepare to come to market, I have lost a ton of that fear because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the intellectual understanding of the minuscule risk of that has started to pervade more as I become a person like, like you, like your daughter who gets to spend more time in the water, gets to spend more time around sharks. Right. And now you're not uh, a coastal person. You're no. Kansas City. You're yeah. middle of the country. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tell me about like your first trip to the ocean, like what, what that, like what, what you're like, what that means to you, like to be able to go in the ocean and not worry. So we, uh, before we started all this, or like when we were first kind of doing the really preliminary research, we uh, took a trip to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. 
and the beautiful island of Kauai, and they actually have a protected um, beach there. Big, huge boulders, right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't get very deep right there, maybe seven feet or something. Perfect water. (laughs) Exactly. So I had to hang out on that beach for like three days. Well, my son and my husband played in the water. So you missed and out. Totally missed out. To- like in a devastating kind. Like now that I understand what that experience really is, and and I did eventually eventually get in the water, and was still terribly scared the whole entire time. Mm-hmm. You know, some little silver fish swam at my face, and I freaked out because clearly it was going to eat my head, <laughs> and um. You know, I was sure a shark could jump over the boulders because they jump and get, you know, just like all kinds of things. (laughs) And they're out to get you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, because I, what at the time, I didn't understand that sharks, humans are not shark food. You know, we're too crunchy. Mm -hmm. We are not fat enough. We actually clog up their system and don't provide them with enough energy to swim for 24 hours a day. So their preference is not for us. And the overwhelming majority of people who die from shark bites die from shark bites, not it being eaten by sharks. Right. So they're, they're them if they got eaten. Right. <laughs> right. It would be a people to find. So. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, or maybe smaller chunks. But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, so people die from the trauma of being bitten, not being eaten. So the shark comes up and takes a bite. And it's like, holy, whatever the snikey that was, I don't want that anymore. And um, so kind of understanding that as well is that it's um, the unprovoked uh, mistaken identity kind of, a, kind of bites that shark off really works to, uh, to repel. Um, so the testing, so gosh, I totally got off point. So are the experience that really made a difference to me and gave me passion about even more passion about pursuing this more passion than my fear was getting beyond the fear. And when we were in, uh, Bimini at the Bimini biological field station, testing this with the crew there, um, we had a chance, we were waiting for access to um, some reef sharks and we had a chance to snorkel and the concept of snorkeling in the ocean, not all that far from where we knew sharks were, Mm -hmm. would have been just inconceivable for me. Um, but, uh, to my utter joy, I actually managed to get in the water and swim around this, um, it's a hull of a, um, a sunken Navy ship and a naval ship. And, uh, and it was, it was just like this blissful, peaceful, like everything, everyone who spends time in the ocean goes there for. It's magical. Yeah, I've done, yeah. I've done snorkeling. And, I, you know, I don't have an innate fear of sharks mm-hmm. like some people do. Um, but, I, but we all, I think we all have a fear of sharks. Um, I've been out shark fishing and I had a mako shark jump out of the water next to the boat. Oh. And I felt Ooh. this, I, well, and it came up next to the boat, <laughs> did a flip, ne- we almost touch it. And I almost jumped off the boat because I thought the shark was coming in the boat. And so... <laughs> And I'm not afraid of sharks as a rule, right. but, but this instinctive, like, holy hell, 
I got to get yeah. out of here happen. So let's get to your Kickstarter campaign. So you're running, right. you're trying to raise money, $40,000 on Kickstarter. Correct. You just are at the beginning of that thing. You've got, what, 20 yeah. some odd backers now, about 800 bucks. So 40,000 yep. is a long way from here. It is. It yeah. is. And so you're giving, for people who want to support this, you can go to fishners.com, click on the episode notes for this link. Uh, and of course, we'll, we'll link it up in the show notes as well. But um, you can go to Kickstarter, just look for Shark Off. It comes right up. Uh, what, for $40,000, is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. What, what, where does that get you? How do you, what does that, how does that bring it to market for you? So, um, we have, so there's uh, the class of um, metal elements that make up our active element that are included in that. It's a whole class mm-hmm. on the periodic chart. So, part of our search has been uh, working through those elements to find the one that is the strongest, puts off the most electrical charge, the highest electrical charge. Mm-hmm. Um, is plentiful enough, is cheap enough, it is the longest lasting possible because this does dissolve. That's what it's doing when it's working mm-hmm. and easy to work with. Um, most of these metals, when you are cutting them with a saw, they shoot off sparks of about mm-hmm. 3,000 degrees. And so that makes for an interesting little afternoon in the garage. I'm sure and it does. <laughs> So, so we have worked through several uh, alloys, and we so we want we have found yet another alloy. We got our proof of concept in July in Bimini with one particular alloy, and but we now have found another one that is an improvement on that alloy for a couple of reasons, and so we need to go back to Bimini. So more testing. Oh, work, work, work. I know. <laughs> I know what Send a terrible place to go. I know. Yeah. I <laughs> yes. Although I do have to say they have some mosquitoes. That <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I heard guamas. Them all, I guess. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then, um, and of course, inventory. Mm-hmm. There's a lot inventory to purchase with that. And then the requisite marketing, the way we take this from $800 to $40,000 is by spending more of our money to uh, make sure that we have access to um, more uh, ways to get in touch with more backers and make them aware of our campaign. Well, that's cool. And you, and you guys are working hard towards sustainability as well. You don't want to have a negative environmental impact, which I read on your website. So that's like really great stuff to know about. And I, like I said, the Fish Nerds have backed you with $25 because I want a bracelet for my one of my daughters um, just because I think they're cool looking. Um, and that's, by the way, cool looking is a good enough reason <laughs> to buy these for somebody uh, who, you know, you got a surfer friend or you've got um, people who live near the ocean or who don't live near the ocean who just think it's cool get it for them. And it has a great conversation piece. Uh, it's interesting. And, you know, $25 for a piece of jewelry, that's a win. Yeah, we agree. And we've worked really hard to keep our costs down so that mm-hmm. we can keep that retail price in a super affordable range. We want everybody who is afraid to put their toes in the ocean to have a different experience. Yeah. And 
have access to that awesomeness. Well, I think it's awesome interesting. <laughs> I think it's interesting and cool. I'll be, I'll be curious to see how it does. Uh, and we'll be, of course, following along um, with you and rooting for you because we always root for everybody who we have on the show. We always want, we want everyone to win all the time. So we're hopeful for you. And again, you go to kickstarter.com, just search for a shark off and you know, you can pledge as little as money as you want, or you can pledge up to like 5,000 bucks and get a trip to go swim with sharks. So you can all kinds of fun there. Yeah. yeah. We got, we worked for some interesting experiences to have on there for people. Yeah. It's pretty great. It's pretty good. Now, um, kind of a little bit different. So once you close this deal and you get your 40,000 bucks, are you going to apply to like go on Shark Tank and go on TV with it? And stuff? <laughs> Everybody says that. Everybody's yeah. like, go on Shark Tank, go on Shark Tank. Yeah. We've even got our intro line worked out. Oh, you do. Walk out and be like, sharks, we have a product, product that's absolutely going to repel you. You're going to hate so. this. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, so um, it's possible. It's mm-hmm. possible. We, uh, what we want to do after that, of course, after the fulfillment, we've, we've put uh, deadlines on there that are generous to us mm-hmm. in terms of getting back down to Bimini and testing the mm-hmm. alloy because we want to send out the new alloy if we can. And um, so once that fulfillment is done, um, as soon as we send out that final batch and um, then we will go live on amazon full retail perfect so, yeah and and we'll see we'll see if something like shark tank comes up because it would be stunningly perfect it, it would well it's funny we've had i think six people come on our show with products and go to shark tank and win deals huh? so wow the that's awesome. are always a stepping stone they never come back to us after but they always <laughs> so so we're well, I, don't, for you. I don't think John, the crappy hippie, is going to let me get away with that. So. No, he will stay on you. So he's a great yes. guy, and he just really yeah, like yeah. he liked you, and he says you got to talk to her. And he hassled me every day. Um, for Thank you to do it. And so this morning, I got an email from him at like four in the morning. He's like, "Have you reached out to <laughs> to these people yet?" And I'm like, "No." And I'm like, "I'll do it now." And so here we are. There you go. Yeah. And we we really appreciate it. We appreciate you spreading the message and your support. And we appreciate every buck. It all helps. And we are grateful for all of it. Yep. So. And the nature of Kickstarter, uh, Kickstarter and all, all crowdfunding is from a little goes a lot. And so actually, I always encourage people, give give us, uh, if everyone gave a tiny amount of money, mm-hmm. all, all these things win. It's the, yeah. so you think you have to give a lot that you don't give. So if you only have a buck to give, throw a buck in the hat. You know, and it won't hurt you at all. But if you know, five hundred people do that, it matters. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah we pretty thing. regularly back products, back stuff, some mm-hmm. films. There was a film about a female um, sumo wrestler. Oh, I just thought that was kick ass. Oh, so. that's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny. Everyone, whenever I have a Kickstarter Kickstarter person come on the show. Just as a f- good faith thing, I always back them. Uh, just because if I'm going to have you on the show, I want to be supportive. I don't like to have people on who I don't like. Um, nice. Yeah, well, thank you. That's my show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, right thank on. you so much for coming on. Uh, website, one more time. Is www.thesharkoff. Mm-hmm. The Sharkoff. And all of our social media is at the Sharkoff. 
at the shark off. All right. So that's perfect. Thank you so much. Shay Geist from shark off. Thank you, Clay. Thank Good. you. All right. Thanks Shay. And uh, I really enjoyed talking to her a lot. And now we're best friends. All right. Time to talk about stinky baits. That's right. It is the stinky bait contest. Thank you for everyone who called in. We're still not getting great numbers of participators, but that means if you take advantage of our contest, you've got a great chance of winning. So you're going to hear in order the following people. Paul Chomo from the Varmint Podcast. Paul lives in Florida, where everything weird happens. Uh, Mark is from somewhere near Detroit. I don't know where. He won't tell us. Eric Hoffner is from Western Massachusetts. Again, won't tell us. It gives us the geographic reason. Re- reason. Geographic region. Uh, Tim from Michigan called in. Rich Collins from Thirst Productions. He's from New Hampshire. Uh, Reed from Minnesota called. Jeff Danielson, our effing librarian, calls in. And and all that. So enjoy, the sh- enjoy these. There's kind of a theme running through it. So as you're listening, try to find out what's similar about most of these things. At the end of that, I will announce the winner. If it's you... Just drop me an email, clay at fishnerds.com, and I will uh, give you your prize package, which includes, this time, a fishnerds hat, a decal, probably some fishing lures, and a few surprises. I got a bunch of crap in my office, and you're going to get my crap. Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Clay Groves, this is your buddy, Paul. How are you? Hey, you wanted uh, stories about gross fish bait? When I was 13, 14, 15 years old and I hung out with a bunch of misfits and we, we put all sorts of weird chemicals into our body to have fun, one really gross thing that we did was we would, like, pick up uh, half-smoked cigarettes and we would continue smoking them and we didn't really care whose mouth had been on those cigarettes. And then we would take those cigarette butts and we would go fishing with them and we had a little pond where we had bluegill and they would absolutely hit on anything you could put anything on a hook and they would they would bite at it they would hit it and so we would take these little cigarette butts and we would chop them into little bits and we would put them on a hook put a little lead sinker on there so that they would go to the bottom and we caught bluegill we caught we caught uh catfish we caught gar on uh yeah unused double used cigarette butts Yeah, so there's my gross fish bait story. I'm sure other people have much nastier fish bait stories, but there's mine. Bye. Hey, Commander Clay. This is Mark near Detroit. Grossest fish baits. I feel like I was born for this call. Uh, I'm a bit of a raw dude myself. I like to use a lot of gross and unusual stuff. I'd say the grossest I'd have to say I've used is the internal organs of roadkill. Specifically, you get yourself a nice opossum, nice raccoon, about 90 degrees in the summer, uh, sun baking down. Just open that gut right up. Uh, as long as you don't have more than 25% li- uh, liquefaction, just go ahead and ball that on your hook. I swear to God, the channel cats will start hitting it before it even gets under the water. Absolutely putrid. Nasty, nasty, nasty. And God forbid it spills in your truck. All right, guys. Tight lines, everybody. Clay, thank you for the show. I love it, dude. Y'all be well. Hey, Clay. This is your friend in Western Massachusetts, Eric Hoffner, calling about stinky bait. Yeah, the worst uh, stinky bait I've ever used is one that I've used my whole life 
surf casting. Um, it's Menhaden. It's not any big surprise. Everyone probably knows about this big herring, but it's also called pogies or bunker, depending on where you live on the East Coast. But uh, when you can't get pogies fresh, which is most of the year, you have to buy them frozen. And you have to defrost them and cut them on a big board and all the goo comes out and it's just disgusting and the goo gets all over your hands and it just soaks into your hands and your clothes and, and you just smell like it for days. But it, it is effective even in this disgusting format. I've caught stripers and bluefish and other things on it, but probably the best thing was when I was about 12 or 13, I caught an 18-pound bluefish from the beach on a frozen bunker. So, you know... It's got something going on. Pretty stinky. Anyway. Hey, fish nerds. This is Brian from Des Moines, Iowa. And I'm calling in with my gross bait story. Uh, I love uh, fishing for catfish, especially channel cat. And once a year, we travel to Missouri to my in-law's cabin on a lake property. And I like... uh night fishing for huge channel cat there. And I'll use a couple different kinds of baits, but the bait that I like using that really works best is uh chicken liver. And not just any chicken liver, but chicken litter liver that I set out uh in the sun to bake and ferment for at least a couple days and it usually gets pretty gross to the point where it turns all green and starts to bloat the container and starts to seep out. And usually by day two or three, there's uh, maggots around the outside of the container. It's pretty gross, but it does the job, and it smells something fierce. Uh, it uh, makes you want to gag, but, you know, hey, the catfish love it, right? So this last year, I had done what I always do and I let it ferment and and simmer out in the hot summer sun until it got really ripe and uh we went to go pack up our stuff to leave for the cabin and uh, the smell was pretty bad so I double bagged it. it it was already in a container and I double bagged it in a Ziploc bag thinking that two seals were better than one and I put it in the back of the car so we hop in the car the wife and I and I'm like hey we need to go stop at the gas station to fill up before we get on the interstate. And the whole time, she's just not having it. She's sitting there in the passenger seat, just gagging and just making all sorts of horrible noise. She's, she's about ready to hurl. And so we get to the gas station, and she's begging me to throw it out. She can't do a two-hour trip with that horrible scent in the car. So... I decided to throw it out, uh, even though I wanted to keep it. I'd spent so so much uh, hard time and effort trying to make it all nasty for, for the fish. and So she makes me throw it out, and where do I toss it? I decide to toss it in the garbage can at the gas pump. Uh, unfortunately, some poor unfortunate soul probably had to smell that as they were pumping their gas. <laughs> so that's my uh that's my horrible gross bait story. Uh 
Thanks, guys. Bye. Yeah, hi, Clay. Hi, Fishner. Tim again. Uh, just calling back again from Michigan. Um, I realized that uh, you were looking for uh, horrible homemade bake experience on that last podcast. So um, a few years back, my wife and son had beat me to our vacation by a couple of days and had done plenty of fishing. Been relatively successful, caught a lot of panfish, and they were kicking them in a way that did not really keep them healthy or alive. So my son was like nine. I show up a few days later, and I've got several dead fish, and he says, Dad, I want to do bait fishing. And I'm like, oh, you're getting to the age where we can make bait fishing. Let's make some bait. So I take one of the dead fish. Here were three, actually. The dead fish. And I throw them in a Ziploc bag. And then I throw some vanilla, because I hear that's a good idea for catfish bait, into this bag. And then we set it in the sun all day the next day. Just dead fish, vanilla extract, sunlight. 90 degree heat, as you can sun. Very humid. Uh, we forgot about it, and then the next day, as I was making coffee, I was suddenly reminded that, uh, that, that fun smell that we all know so well. And, so I said, oh, Bobby, well, we forgot the night fish, but hey, what the heck, let's, let's do what we've got for, for bait. And uh, God help me, when I opened that bag, um, it wasn't fishing bait. I don't know what it was, but it was absolutely horrifying. Uh, I tried to pull some of the batter from the line, and it was just that. It was just, like, liquefied. It was disgusting. So that's why... Uh, we, didn't, we couldn't, there was nothing to put on a hook, not even like a face. There was just nothing. So that's my, uh, my awful fishing, homemade fishing thing story. Thanks. Talk to you later. Hey there, this is Rich Collins. I got a little bit of a cold here, so forgive me, but the grossest bait I've ever seen or used. Um, was actually done with some nerds. I think Vinny was there, Clay was there. I think Mason was there, but it was uh it was the time Clay Groves pulled a hot dog out of his pants pocket that he pilfered from the local seven eleven, I think. I don't remember where it came from, but um we were carp fishing, but yeah, basically pocket hot dog would be the grossest bait I've ever used or seen. Um and we didn't catch any carp either, so that's it. Hey, Clay, it's Reed from Minnesota. I um, just wanted to share a bait story. A few winters back, um, I decided to get creative and buy some squid from an Asian market and clip some of the tentacles off and use them for ice fishing, and they worked out fantastic. But I had a little bait puck full of them, and I left in the dead of winter. And in Minnesota, it was deep freeze, sub-zero. But I was gone for a week and a half, and before I got back, Spring hit, I came home to 50-degree weather in a car completely full of flies and the smell of dead, rotted squid. And I had to take the interior out of the back of my car and bleach it and leave it out in the sun for a week. I couldn't drive the vehicle for a number of weeks. It was the, the worst decision I ever made. So... Ice fishing with squid, good idea. Leaving squid in your car on a 50-degree day, 
I don't recommend it. Hey, it's Jeff the F and Librarian calling in about the grossest fish bait contest. Clay's pretty close to what uh, I'd say my grossest is. Is it's when I was a kid, like the Ozarks, we used to run trot lines all the time for catfish, and our bait of choice was chicken hearts. But you really did need to leave the chicken hearts out several days unrefrigerated so that they get good and stanky. So they'd call them fish in with that good stank. So that's it. Fermented chicken hearts for catfish. All right, everyone. Thanks for participating in the Stinky Bait Contest. Chicken livers uh, for the win on this one. They are the most popular. It doesn't... Everyone seems to like chicken livers. Uh, when I'm fishing for channel catfish, I, fish, I also use chicken livers. I'd be very curious now. How will chicken fi- chicken livers work through the ice? I almost said chicken fingers. So maybe I'll rotten up some chicken livers and drop them down an ice hole and see what happens. Now, time to announce the winner of the Stinky Bait Contest. The winner is Reed from Minnesota. Reed, drop me an email, clay at fishners.com. And I will send you your stuff. And I fully expect some uh, pictures of you wearing your hat and stickers and things when you get it. Thanks so much, everyone, for playing. All right, this episode's brought to you by you, our listeners. If you go to patreon.com slash fishnerds, you can help us fund this show. Where Patreon's like a Kickstarter, like an ongoing uh, Kickstarter for art projects, and I'm an artist, and I need money to support all my work. And we're hoping that eventually we get enough people giving us money on Patreon where making this podcast can be my job. And what that would look like would be a much better, highly produced show. Uh, it would mean we pay our contributors um, for making content for us. Um, maybe I outsource the mixing and we use some of that money uh, for buying better equipment. Uh, we need better computers, microphones, all that sort of thing. So we're hoping that listeners will give us $1 per episode. If every listener did that, that's enough money right there to quit working, which would be amazing. Uh, that's $4 a month, nothing to it. And, you get, and I'll mail you a sticker and a little note. If you give us $2 an episode, so $8 a month, I'll mail you a sticker, a little note, and a Fish Nerds rag, which are guaranteed to cover your face. Um, if you give us $5 an episode, you get a Fish Nerds uh, hat or beanie, plus all the other stuff. And at $25 per episode, which is a pretty high number, that's our sponsorship level. You give us that, I will mention your business on this show. Our friend uh, Josh Lopes did that. Josh is a tax attorney, tax attorney, tax accountant, attorney, <laughs> um, a tax accounting. And you can go to lopestax.com and find out all about him. And he gives us 25 bucks an episode, so he gets everything we do. He's, he's a good guy. All right. And this month, the money we earn is going to go to buying the crappie hippie a better microphone. He got this great interview with a local legend, which is coming up right now, Kim Burnett. And I think they're both sharing a microphone on this interview. And I'd like to get it so that we get nice, crisp, clean audio because crappie hippie is a great guy, has great content, great stories to tell. And we want to get it the best we can. So enjoy this uh, interview with Kim Burnett. Kim, you can find on Instagram at Crappy Stopper Jigs and Flies. Uh, or you can find Facebook and just look for Crappy Stopper Jigs and Flies. And we'll put links up in the show notes. So they're going to end our show. They're going to carry us right through the very end of the show. And then, big show next week. 
we took the ice fishing recording equipment on the ice in our ice shack and in the shack where there was a comedian a paleontologist and an ice cream vendor sounds like they set up for, for a joke we'll see stay tuned enjoy the rest of the show see you next week every group of fishing friends has the one they are the one who catches bigger fish and more fish more often their reputation grows, and soon their skills are known throughout the neighborhood, the lake community, your small town, or school. Sometimes they're acknowledged in the media, but mostly their prowess, humility, and patient grace on the water is recognized and praised by those who know them or know of them. We call these fishers local legends. Thank you for that intro to our resident blues guy, Isaiah Beardstubble Medlock. You can catch his latest album, Suitcase Full of Tears, subtitled Came Up Empty Because Damn Suitcase Don't Hold No Water, on WTF Records. Hey, this is Crappie Hippie introducing our latest feature on Fish Nerds, Local Legends. I hope you enjoy it. Alrighty, hello everybody. This is Crappie Hippie, your tree-hugging redneck from eastern Kansas, and I am doing an interview for Fish Nerds today with a remarkable fisher that I met on Instagram, and it turns out we're both a couple of O-Town boys from Olathe, Kansas at one point in our lives. Uh, anyway, let me introduce my latest uh, uh, fishing uh, hero, Kim Burnett. How you doing, Kim? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Okay, so now we've picked the most horrible day in the history of, of, of the year so far to go fishing. Uh, we're going to try to go over to a pond. We're hoping they're all not less like chocolate milk today because it's been raining after 12 months drought. Now we've got so much rain we can't we can't stand it. Anyway, this pond has some five and six pound bass. What's your go-to? What are you going to tie on first? Oh, I, I made up some uh, big bass streamers last night. So Okay. We're going to... Try that for the best. All righty, all righty, all righty. Well, that sounds like something that's going to work. Um, okay, so we met on Instagram. Uh, my handle being Crappie Hippie, a lot of crappie feeds uh, show up. Uh, what's the name of your company? Crappie Stopper Jigs and Flies. And you tie jigs and flies for folks uh, to keep them in the in the fish here around uh, Hillsdale and, and Olathe and so forth, right? Yeah, here, and I sell all over the country, really, my yeah. jigs and flies, too. So I just sell local and abroad. I got the crappie stopper, started following you on Instagram, and I, it was great to go up to Bass Pro and, and meet you and the rest of the gang. And tell me a little bit about that. You founded that fly tying group, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I didn't actually find it. I found a guy, but my wife started working there when it first opened, and there was a guy back there tying, and she told me about and I went and talked to him, and he said they had a group. He said they tie there every Thursday. So he told me, uh, if you're interested, uh, come back next Thursday. So I went and went home and came right back and had my <laughs> stuff, and he looked at me like, I said, I'm ready now. I'm not going to wait till next week. And right on. That's how I met this group, and we've been there 12 years now. 12 years now. Well, um, I want to go on and on about your fly tying story. Um, first of all, let's just start with a basic one-on-one question. You know, who taught you how to fish? How'd you get started fishing? Uh, my Both my parents. We, I mean, we started as young kids like everybody else with our 202s and, you know, a little bobber and hook. And 
Well, you just, you know, we progressed from there as we grew up. And then what made you decide to switch to the to the noble art of fly fly riding? Oh, I was always interested when I got older. Then I just started, you know, watching TV and stuff like that. And I bought me a fly rod. Actually, I didn't buy one. My grandpa gave me my first fly rod, which was an automatic. And I started messing around with that. And after I got that, I just took it from there. Um, that's fantastic. So completely self-taught on the fly rod. Basically. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. All righty. That's uh, and then to tie. How did the how did the tying? I mean, it usually is an outgrowth because you can't keep yeah. up, or they don't have the fly you want, or you can't afford them. So how did you get started? I started tying crappie jigs first. Guy Cabello showed me how to, you know, put the thread on the hook and basically how to attach the materials and all that. Then I just went home and started messing up a bunch of them practicing. And I got good at that. Then, like I said, I met these guys at Bass Pro and they taught me how to tie flies. So I already knew the basics. So it was pretty easy for me after that. Wow. So you're um, um, 12 years into it then after, you know, hanging and have hung out with some local uh, fly tying folks. Uh, that's fantastic. Now, you also uh, are uh, best, most beloved fly shop, KK Fly Fishers. Uh, they're a big fan of you over there. You go in there on Tuesday night, is that right? Yeah, I tie there on Tuesday nights also. And I see you popping up on their calendar from time to time. Do yeah, I do. I do a few uh, Saturday clinics when they want somebody to tie panfish flies and stuff like that. Um, now, tell me about meeting uh, Mike George, the uh, deer hair wizard. Uh, oh, the Hall of Fame Mike George. Yeah, the Hall of Fame Mike yeah, George. He's, he's like top three deer hair tires in the world. This guy's in the Hall of Fame, man. It's just amazing what he does. and It's not no pattern. He just sees it in his head and he just starts stacking it hair. Man, he just stacks it, man, and it's amazing. That is incredible. And he has a website, too, so people want to go see it and just go on Mike George's website. All right. You'll see all the work. Well, you you hang out with with the elite uh, for what that means around here in eastern Kansas. But uh, KK definitely can bring them in. And it was great that you could be there for that. Um, Now, speaking about our mutual friend Randy, he's always bragging about you and this and that and how you guys have a little friendly competition going on, who can tie the most (laughs) jigs in an hour. Yeah, right. (laughs) Who can, you know, tie a fly and and run down and catch a fish first on it. Yeah. he has a lot of fun with those competitions. How do those go? Not well for him. They go, <laughs> they go real well for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we yeah. have fun with it. Though. But he he does it. He does. Uh, I think he stretches it a little here and there. But no, he does. He's pretty honest about about how he comes up on the uh, short end of that quite often. <laughs> um, but you're a very uh, competitive guy, the way I see it. Um, you are a member of a crappie tournament, a crappie club? Yeah, fish crappie tournaments, Kansas crappie club. Kansas right. crappie club. Uh, are you an officer in the club or are you just fishing Yeah, I'm one of the uh, admins on the page and I help run the tournaments. Okay, that's what I thought. You were a tournament like a tournament coordinator for them. Yeah. Um so the Kansas crappie club, you you participate. Uh you just had a tournament. What was your role there? You said you didn't fish it. Oh, it was a there's another trail called the Kansas Crappie Trail, which is another friend of mine, and they yeah. had a benefit tournament for um, Children's Service League, so they had a barbecue competition, so I volunteered to be a judge. So I judged the barbecue competition, and then we had a fishing clinic for the children that were around that day, so me and my buddy did a clinic for all the kids that were there that day. Well, let's get back. Okay, so you compete with the, um, the crappie fishers in the tournament life there. 
Um, also, though, you were telling me uh, one night when I sat in at fly tying at Bass Pro in Olathe um, about an iron man type competition that you had been in. Yeah, iron tie. Iron tie. All right. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about iron tie. Iron tie is kind of like um, you ever seen the show on Food Network where they yeah, chop iron, iron Chef or it's, Chop. It's yeah. basically like Chop. So yeah. there's like five different categories. So they give you a bag full of supplies and when you open that bag and dump it out you have 10 minutes to tie make a fly out of what they dump on the table you don't know what it is until you dump it out all right okay so then you got 10 minutes to come up with a fly with that material that's fantastic and um they also do one where they blindfold you on her yeah it was, that's the second round yeah, they blindfolded me and first while we pulled out the stuff in the bag set it in the order we thought we we're gonna put it on the hook and he blindfolded us then we had to Tie a fly in ten minutes, blindfolded, just feeling around for them too. <laughs> and then you get judged on how well, well. It goes yeah, out. they just judge how well it looks. And so, what, it, what's the last round? What's the last round? Well, there was another round where we had to go get a person out of the bar because we tied in the back of this bar in the little area they had. Uh-huh. They never tied before. Set them down, tell them how to tie the fly without touching it. So wow. we had to walk them through how to tie without touching the fly. So that was one category. Okay. I, I won. You had the, the top. Five qualifiers that won each round. There was like 30 people. Uh-huh. So the top, uh, whoever won that category in each category got to go to the, the finals. So there was five of us in the finals. So uh-huh. I went to the finals. Fishing's Future. Tell me about Fishing's Future. Well, I work with organizations called Fishing's Future, and we um, teach kids how to fish around, you know, from ages three all the way to 16. And we travel around the state of Kansas and put on clinics for kids. Our model was outside for a better inside. So we're trying to get the kids off the iPads, phones, and get them back reintroduced to the outdoors. Off the screen. Taking care of this resource that we all love, you know. So we work for the Kansas Department of Wildlife. They can't hire enough people to go do angler education. So they use uh, we volunteer. So they use us to go around and do their education. And in turn, we got all these sponsors that give us all the stuff that we need to put on our clinics all over the state. All right. And um, now what's this thing I heard about um, you doing at Fishing's Future and some of your other events when you're at the uh, tackle shows and so on? Um, You have the audience uh, throw out Frisbees? Yeah, they throw out Frisbees with a little hole in the center, a big hole in the center of it. Okay. Maybe about 12. 14 inches wide and they put them out 60 70 feet and i cast a fly rod and i hit them in the center of them 60 70 feet cast and they're all amazed like oh yeah well i am too i you know i'm kind of like charlie and the kite tree charlie brown and the kite tree when it comes to fly fishing it's either going great and then the next thing you know i've tied myself up um but you did compliment me the last time we went. You said, yeah. you, you know, you're getting better and getting better, and I'm, I am good. working on it. One of these days, I'm going to get an actual tapered line and, you know, really get to <laughs> and get that rod to load instead of this garage sale stuff I'm always using. You've always been a no-town man. Oh, yeah. I'm a suburban. Yeah. I'm Country a, suburban guy. Yeah. I know you're dreaming, though. Yeah, I'm dreaming. My wife won't go. I'm dreaming. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna you know take this back down just some fun stuff. I'm gonna do some one on one first interview questions. Uh, you know, what do you like most about fishing? Just what is it? Just the joy of being in the outdoors and catching fish on you know lures and stuff that I make myself. That's that's the enjoyment right there. Well, I tell you, you must enjoy it because you know 
I've seen you out on days when uh, posting Instagram and stuff on days where I stuck my nose that far outside, <laughs> slammed the door and went back and threw on another coat. Uh, and uh, yeah, you, so you really do dig it and you are um, always out there, you say, every Saturday, no matter what. Every Saturday, no matter what, and any day I can squeeze in between. Fish the condition. I fish all winter long. I fish all year long. There's no off season for me. I fish all year long. And fish the conditions is your mantra. Just yeah, get you got to do there. what you got to do. All righty. Um, of course, I'm going to ask this. Everybody asks this and wants to know this. Um, what are your top three favorites to go after when you go fishing? I think I can guess number one. but uh, Crappie. I like bluegill a lot. And I don't know, bass. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm a pond and lake fisher guy. Pond and lake, yeah. yeah. And largely. And big reservoirs. Big reservoirs when you, yeah. Oh, and you just got a boat, by the way, right? Yes, I did. How's that project coming along? Good. I just, uh, I'm going to do the carpet in it. I got the doors off and I'm getting ready to do the carpet on the doors. Actually, I'm putting grip tape instead of carpet. All right. Replace the carpet anyway. Ain't got to worry about it. But I got it covered up now and I'm just got the doors inside. I'm going to clean those up and go ahead and replace the carpet that's on there. Well, that's fantastic. So it, it, it fires up and Yeah, it runs, runs good. It runs it's great. an 18-foot uh, striker. It's the Cajun-style boat. Yeah. So we've got 150 horse Evan Rude V6. That's plenty. That runs that plenty. Good. Just yeah. needs a little TLC and should be ready by spring. Be ready by spring. So, uh, I don't know. Are we going to have a boat launch event, something like that? I don't think so. I think we're going to launch it. It ain't going to be no event. <laughs> we're going to launch it. <laughs> well, I, you know. Look, I'm just trying to wangle an invitation here, okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have a dream, uh, you know, some ambition to catch something that you haven't fished for? You know, dream destination, something you want to go and do? Yeah, I love to go to uh, Florida, fish the canals, fly fishing for, like, um, peacock bass. And, right. You know, all the stuff they catch in there, for right tarpon, childers, you know, stuff like that. Okay. Um, I could do that. Yeah, and then you told me also you're you and I are kind of cut from the same cloth. One of my dream destinations go like Lake Washington or Lake Erie or somewhere in pursuit of that three pound crappie. Yes, I um, definitely like that. Okay, yeah, and what's that? What's that lake in Louisiana you want to go to? Uh, uh, Grenada or Sardis? That one. That's the one. Yeah, those two are the, probably the top two that they talk about there's other right. lakes there that have three pound fish but that's yeah. where the trail crappie trail usually goes so they talk about those more but. all right well it's definitely a shared dream maybe we'll get there one of these days okay i'm just going to give this over to you uh every fisher loves to tell stories and or at least has a few tell us about the wintertime uh dock fishing uh dock fishing in the wintertime is uh it's one of my favorite times of the year you know, all the diehards come out and all the hunters go hunting, but, you know, a lot of people are not there, except people that know about it, and people don't think fish bite in the winter. So we fish down there every year at Hillsdale, and we fish outside in the slips, and I'm catching fish. Like, I limit out almost every week, and there's people down there who don't know how to fish in the wintertime, and they're watching me, and they're always looking at me like, why is this guy catching all these fish, you know? So eventually they come down and they're like, hey, what are you using? I said, these crappie jigs. Where'd you get them? I made them. Really? Yeah. So then that's how the conversation starts. And is that kind of how the business started as well? Yeah, that's probably, yeah, that's about how it did start. Just, you know, people seeing me catch fish after fish. He's my best friend that I met, not my best friend, but one of my good friends. 
I met him down there, and he was eyeing me from across the. I was fishing indoors that day, and I seen him over there eyeing me from across the dock in, in indoors. And I'm catching fish after fish, and nobody's catching nothing. And he finally came up to me, "Hey, what are you using?" Same thing. I'm like, uh, "Jigs that I made." Yeah. Um, he said, um, "Can you show me how to do that?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'll teach you how to fish in the wintertime." I said, "Yeah, I'll teach you." This. We got together and we started fishing for a little bit, you know, a few times. And then we hooked up and we've been friends ever since. Because, you know, Marabou performs better than plastic in the winter. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And some people are fishing too fast. You know, they're sitting there jigging and jigging and jigging. I tell them, you can't jig it real fast. Sometimes they don't even want you to move it. All they want you to do is a subtle pop and you let it sit there. And that's all they want. They don't want you sitting there jigging, jigging, jigging like it's spring or, you know, summer or none of that. Winter is a slow presentation because fish are not in a real feeding mood. They go into a lethargic, you know, feeding mood. So they just sit there and they don't want to expend any energy chasing anything. So they see it as an easy offering. So you sit there and let them look at it and they're going to get tired of looking at it. So you give it that little subtle pop and let it fall back. And that's when they hit it. So it's about presentation. It's about patience. And it's yeah, about, it's a know, slow presentation. And some people are fishing way too fast. Yeah. And that's that's why they don't catch a lot of fish. Yeah. Okay, so you catch a lot of fish, and uh, I think Hillsdale's a, a really uh, intense fishery to produce so many fish um, with as much fishing pressure. People go out there and still do well. They may not catch, you know, as big a fish as you might catch elsewhere. Right. But there are certainly um, a real high high rate of replacement and so on. So, you know, we got to keep those crappies. We got to keep some or they're going to stunt and you right. know, we yeah. do that. And so we, we, we uh, leave it up to fish and game to tell us, you know, you know how many it's okay to keep. And then we have our fish fry. So let's talk about this because, you know, another thing. I, always, I was a chef for a long, long time and I always wanted to get it back to food. Uh, cooking the fish, what's your favorite recipe? I use uh, Louisiana fish fry in the red and white. Package, okay. all right. red, white, and blue package. I mean, it's already seasoned. So deep fat or yeah, I fry it, and or... pan fry it. It just depends on if I'm cooking for a lot of people. I get a big thing. If I'm cooking for me and my wife, I just use a you know cast iron skillet, right? And shallow pan fry it. And what goes on the side? Fried potatoes, yeah. spaghetti, cornbread. All right. And these days, lots of vegetables. Some yeah, greens and nowadays, stuff. Yeah, yeah, a lot of greens. A lot of greens. <laughs> a lot of greens. Got to have those greens. Yeah. Well, I think that cold water crappie cannot be beat it can't. when it comes to flavor. I mean, it yeah. is one of the best fish in the world. Um, all right. I want to wrap this up just with a couple things about our respective businesses, okay? Um, you, you're tying the jigs and the flies, and I make lead-free lures and tackle. And uh, what kind of price are you paying on your lead jig heads? Or do you make your own or you I, buy I pour them? my own. I pour 180th all the way up to a quarter ounce. Okay. And what's lead cost you a pound? Nothing, because I had a friend that gave me so much lead, I'll never have to buy anymore. Oh, I really? Got about 500 pounds of lead at home. Holy smokes. Yeah, and it's the plumber's lead. Oh, so it's good can, stuff. That you roll up, it's real yeah, thin. Yeah, the, the soft lead. Yeah. So. Oh, real soft. I ain't, yeah, it's real lead. It's not that. Wheel yeah, no, yeah, no wheel that waste. ruin your pot that people yep. try to use. It's not all lead. I keep telling them it's not all lead. You're gonna ruin your pot with that cheap stuff, right? But, but I pour my own. It's just cheaper. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna give you a few lead-free jig heads uh, before you get out of here today, 
And I want you to try them with your painting method because I, I'm getting these done with a bismuth, mm -hmm. which majority in them, they still have a tin in them because you can't make anything out of straight bismuth. Yeah, tin. Yeah, if, tin if, is if, a good product. Bismuth won't it'll shatter. It won't hold together if it's just pure biz. Right. Uh, but it can take a higher heat. They say you can't because you like to epoxy paint. You like a powder paint. Yeah. And that's one problem with it, like a straight up tin. You've got to use either an acrylic or a latex right. or something else. Or not latex, hope. I mean a vinyl. Um, so anyway, I'll give you some uh, before we part ways today. And uh, I also uh, am going to price out the metal and kind of show you, you know, if you ever want to add lead free to your line, you know, I can help you do it um, in terms of acquiring the metal and in terms of, um, uh, you know, how to get the right ratios and stuff that, you know, we could to keep you in the powder. Cause that's one thing that I noticed is stops a lot of guys is that they can't powder paint the tin, right. you know, and we want to get into metals that, because my deal is I want to find out, you know, what's besides the fact that, see, you got lead for free, you know, you got yeah. it. It was such a cheap material to the plumber when he got out of the business. Right. He just said, take it, you yeah. know, uh, cause you know, Probably couldn't have got any money for it anyhow. You know, right. Just probably traded it to another plumber for something else. Uh, this is kind of what we're up against with lead being so cheap and available, even though it's it's highly toxic. And and you you know my whole spiel on that. Oh, yeah. um, uh, if we uh, have a range, um, not free. I don't think I can get you in a tin bismuth for free. <laughs> Nothing's free. <laughs> but if in I America. can get you, can I get you into a, a twenty cent jig head or a fifteen cent jig head? What would be your price point on something like that? A piece? Yeah. Yeah, fifteen twenty. Yeah, fifteen right in there. Fifteen twenty. All righty. Well, it's a good goal for me to shoot for. It's what I need to know. You know, I talk to everybody about you know what they're doing, how they like to fish, you know why they use lead, and the number one thing is is you know it's cheap. And it's easy to get. So that is That's our main good. problem. As you know, now, um, if you wanted to, you know, if there was a designated water, say we went up to Canada and we wanted to fish a lake that, that, uh, you know, required lead free, would you do it? Oh yeah. And what would be, how much more would you be willing to pay for a lead free lure? If, uh, you had to buy one versus say your, your standard lead spinner bait is five bucks. How much higher would you go? Probably a few more bucks. Oh wow! So you're talking a few more bucks would be, you know, I'm I'm trying to get it about ten percent, twenty percent, you know, thirty percent at the most. So we're talking. Oh, you mean ten you know, percent left would be five fifty, you know, and so on. Uh, you know, six five six bucks would be where five fifty to six would be right where I would try to get get my bait. Right, and then you know that way I could use the same quality of components and uh, so on and so forth. All right, fish nerds. Well, I'm going to wind this up. Is there anything else you'd like to say to the fish nerd crowd before we sign off tonight? Thank you very much, first of all, for coming out here and talking into the microphone with me for a little bit and uh, enlightening us on the, you know, the underlying expertise. You never know yeah. what Olathe might offer you. It's, it's kind of a backwater suburb, but uh, anyway, anything else you'd like to say to the audience before we sign her off today? Yeah. Um one thing that all you fishermen out there, if you got a chance to take a kid fishing, please do, because they are the future of anything. And that's what I'm trying to, you know, do for myself is just teach many kids as I can to protect this resource that we have. So I'm just asking if you know any kids 
underprivileged, privileged, or whatever. Just take them fishing and teach them something, and it'll help. Well, that's awesome, and that, you're, I like the way you said that, too, because I know, you know, these poor country kids all get to go fishing, and some of them city kids, if their parents ain't into it, they have to... Yeah, they ain't going. They ain't going. Okay, that's it, Fish Nerds. We've had a lot of fun with our guest, Kim Burnett, and I had a lot of fun as your friend, the crappie hippie, doing my first interview for Fish Nerds. Uh, we're going to get out of here right now. Remember, you've listened to a bunch of Fish Nerds when you could have been out fishing. We'd like to thank our families for putting up with all our crazy fish nerd ways. And remember to always follow the code of the fish nerds. Spawn early and often. Never accept a free lunch with strings attached. Swim against the current every chance you get. All right. Bumps on that, Kim. Fish nerds out. My gimmick is this. Tight lines and valentines. Crappie hippie. Peace out. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the hell of it! Fry it in a basket or broiled in a pan, eat it raw like you're in Siam, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds. It's a podcast.